Those of you into horseback riding know that when you fall off of a horse, it's important to get right back on. Fast Red Ray says the same is true when we fail and fall spiritually. Return is a word of grace. It's God's word of grace to you and to me. Just return. Getting back up is what it's about when you fall down. Not staying down, just return. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your Great to have you along with us as we open our Bibles to the book of Luke on Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Pastor Ed is the senior pastor of the Packing House in Redlands, California. And as we near the end of our series through Luke, we get to some familiar scenes to most Christians, including today's topic, Peter's denial of the Lord. Well, on the surface, it may seem that Peter just chickened out in the face of potential physical harm. But the issue goes much deeper than that. It's actually a story with a very happy ending. So let's join Pastor Ed right now in Luke chapter 22, picking up in verse 28. Verse 28. But you, and Jesus gives them a compliment, their faithfulness. Those you have continued with me in my trials. You've been here all the way through. Many had left by this time. He'd said some difficult things. He said, you guys are here. Judas is gone. Verse 29, I bestow upon you a kingdom. Just as my father bestowed one also on me, literally says, I give you the privilege to come to my table. A little clearer in the Living Bible. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right that you may eat, verse 30, and drink at my table in my kingdom. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb that we've talked about recently. We're going to sit down at a table, going to be a big table, with all those who have gone before us, Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, family members, friends of yours that walk with the Lord, get to sit down and enjoy a meal together. It's going to go on and on and on meaning you can eat as much as you want and there's no calories involved. Eat and drink at my table. Sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. There's judging going on. I don't know entirely what this means. Paul spoke of it to the Corinthians this way, 1 Corinthians 6.2. They're taking people to court. He's saying that's not what you should do. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters that you have to go to someone else? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? I don't know. Does that mean the angels that have fallen? Uh, I think it might be our guardian angels, you know, the ones that are watching out for us. You know, where were you that time when that car, you know, you'll know my guardian angels got broken wings, uh, it's all torn up, lots of cuts and bruises trying to keep me out of trouble. The Lord said, now Jesus turns to Simon. Evidently, Peter has been the guy leading the charge about who's the greatest. <laughs> and he's out in front, so Jesus singles him out. Peter's got his foot in his mouth, as usual. Only he doesn't call him by the name that Jesus has given him. He calls him by the name his parents gave him. Simon, it means sand, little pebbles. <laughs> Big mountain of a man called Pebbles. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you 
Asked is too polite. It says that he demanded of you. He went to God and asked that he could have you like Job. We have that little picture from Job in the Old Testament of the throne room of God, the control room central. And Satan shows up. God says, what are you doing? He says, well, I've been walking around the earth. Good, I hope he got tired. And he says, well, have you thought of Job? Have you considered my servant Job? And he says, you know what? You let me have a shot at him, and he'll fold like a cheap lawn chair. Come on. And so God says, okay, but don't kill him. Well, that's what Satan has asked for Peter. Now, it's not just Peter. He wants all of them. He wants to take a shot at each and every one of them. Now, what's in a name? By saying Peter, Jesus uses the word for rock, Cephas, strong, foundation, unmovable. He's pointing that Peter is not being strong at this moment. It's not what he wants him to be. So Jesus is prodding Peter here a little bit, uses his old name, uses it twice, Simon, Simon. You're talking about greatness? Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as we, wow, okay. This word is unusual in the New Testament. This is the only place it appears. So we're not exactly sure about the word. It comes from a root word that means a riddle, something that's difficult to separate and understand. But we know it in cooking with wheat. Those of you that are old enough, or maybe your grandmother still does some baking. Nobody bakes anymore, right? But grandma, I remember, used to pour the flour in a little, like a tin can. It had a handle on the side with two whips, and there was a screen in the bottom. Any with me? I got blank looks everywhere I'm looking here. And, uh, and she would crank it, and it would just sieve the flour through, and hard pieces of flour or rocks or sticks or whatever else, worse bugs, would stay on the screen. And that is a little bit of what this word is talking about, but for them in the first century, it was the whole winnowing process, separating the grain, the raw grain, from the, the stock and the husk and, and the straw sort of a thing. So they would begin, when we were in Turkey a, a few weeks ago, we saw this, they, they were still using these, it's called a threshing sled. Uh, the Roman word is tribunum, it's where we get the word tribulation from, because the guy would stand on it, and that's grain that has been cut down, and the oxen would pull it around it. And this board would ride over, he'd ride it like a sled. Well, on the bottom of this sled, they had put in uh, little flakes of, of rock driven into the, the base of it. So these rocks would, would crush and break up the husks and separate the, the kernel from the other parts. So this is all part of this sifting that he's talking about with Peter. But that applies to your life and mine too. The process is separation. Now, Satan doesn't mean it for good. Satan means it for evil, like Joseph in the Old Testament, his brothers. He said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. So Satan wants to separate him from God, but God is going to use this sifting process in his life and in yours and in mine to remove the sticks and the stones and the ugly things, the hard spots from our life, so that he can use us. This sifting process is not fun. <laughs> I don't like it, <laughs> but it's necessary. Some of you are right in the middle of it right now. God sifts us all. It's part of coming into his kingdom. Jesus saw what Peter could become, so he says, go for it. And he is going to be sifted, separated from bad things. 
So it's a good thing for him. It's hard on Peter, but it will end up bringing him to be useful to God. Look at verse 32. But I have prayed for you. Oh, good. God, you've prayed for me. Satan wants to sift me, and you said no way. Now, <laughs> I would like Jesus to pray for me too and say, okay, no more sifting in your life. It's all good. No, I prayed for you, Peter. It's already done. It's already been established that your faith should not fail. It's not going to fail. You're going to get through this. But when you have returned to me, here's a word of grace. This is mercy. You're going to blow it, Peter. You're going to make a fool of yourself. You're going to be beat up. But when you return, when you come back, this is a great word. This is one of the most encouraging sentences to me in the New Testament. It's talking about God foreseeing things that are going to happen to you and me, our failures, and him still looking forward to us returning to him, coming back. There's a great old story from the Revolutionary War. The man's name was Jonathan Meeks, and M-E-I-G-S. Jonathan Meeks was a young man, fell in love with a beautiful young lady, in New England, but she was a Quaker, and her father was a very conservative, stern Quaker. And they saw each other whenever they could. He, they fell deeply in love, and it took him weeks to get up the gumption, the guts, to go ask her father for her hand in marriage. He finally gets there, and he's stammering, he's stuttering, he finally gets the words out, and this stern old Quaker coldly rejects Jonathan. He told him, quote, he was unworthy, beneath expectations for his daughter, and entirely unsuitable. Whoa, crushed him, right? And he holds back the tears. He gets onto his horse, and he's riding off, and he's weeping. And he's going down this forest road, and he hears his love's voice. And she says, return, Jonathan, return. He pulls his horse up, and they're standing beside the road. Is the woman that he loves. And she says again, return, Jonathan, return, go back. He looks at her, turns his horse around and goes back and faces her father and asks a second time. And the father finally relents and allows them to get married. When they had their first child, it was a baby boy. What do you think they named that baby boy? Return, Jonathan Miggs. And Colonel Return Jonathan Meggs would become a lieutenant colonel and then later a full colonel under a general by the name of Washington in the Continental Army and receive a letter of commendation from George Washington directly. He became a man of honor and courage and character. Return is a word of grace. It's God's word of grace to you and to me. Just return. Getting back up is what it's about when you fall down. Not staying down, just return. That's so important, we can't emphasize it enough. When we get knocked down or fail, we need to get right back on our feet and return to the Lord, just as Peter did. This is Grow in Grace, and we're in Luke 22 with Pastor Ed Ray. Well, there's another part of this. Return to me when you have strengthened your brethren. 
That's why you and I go through the sieve. That's why we get the tribulation, the tribunal, the, the sled over us. Some of you are underneath the sled right now this morning, and you're getting tossed around by stuff in life. And that's why you're here. It's not a coincidence that you're here this morning and hearing this message because it's God's word to you. He wants to use you in other people's lives. You can't be helpful to other people if you've never gone through it yourself. Corinthians, Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 1.4, this is the Living Bible. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when others are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. When you receive comfort from the Lord, you get spiritual understanding, you rise above it, you get a worldview that you understand this world is temporary, we're not here for eternity. There's another place called eternity. Our character is developed here, who we are. When you get that understanding, then you can share it with others, and it's meaningful because you empathize, you feel what they feel, you lived it, you know it in your life. You live on the surface, never have anything difficult to go through, you're of no use to God. Thank him for that tribunum that's going over you right now. However, Peter, he's pretty cocky. <laughs> he's feeling real sure of himself right now. And he tries to reassure Jesus of who he is. Verse 33. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you. I got your back, Jesus. I'm rocky. I'm solid. I'm your foundation. I'm everything you need. You can trust me. To prison and to death. Whew. This is God chastising someone who is self-confident, you or me. He tries to get that out of my life. You see, when we actually do something good for God and it works, the first thing we do is, wow, that was great. God, you're really lucky to have me. <laughs> I think God's forehead is flat from doing that over and over again. And he has to take us down a peg. Peter is sure that he has the capacity within himself, that he is able to do it. Now, this is the Peter that when we get to the next part of this story, probably next time, he's the guy that pulls out a sword and cuts off the servant's ear, an unarmed servant's ear, right? So imagine Peter writing his later book of the Bible, 1 Peter. When you have a problem in your life, somebody starts talking trash to Jesus, you just pull out your sword and cut them off, the ears. When they cut you off in the freeway, gas it. <laughs> That's the attitude that God needs to remove from Peter's life and my life and your life. Peter's confident. Satan is so well disguised, Peter can't see him. Satan is like the porta spider. Some say portilla jumping spider. My favorite spider. I like bugs, you know, the whole biology thing. There's the porta spider. It's in Africa, all the way across the Middle East, clear over to Vietnam. It likes reeds and bamboo. And in dead bamboo, you can't see it. It's so camouflaged. It's like a stick there, okay? Well, its main way of getting prey, it likes to eat bugs, other bugs, and spiders, especially smaller spiders, is to just blend in so that nobody can see it. A little bug walks by, whoo, he jumps right on it, eats it on the spot. That's a fun story. The other way that he's like Satan, besides being camouflaged, is that he's a deceiver. He crawls out stealthily onto the web of another smaller spider. And he takes his little front foot there, 
and he plucks one of the silk strands and it vibrates it and it gives the impression it mimics a little bug caught on the spider web. The spider runs out, poor spider jumps on it, eats it. See, this is a fun story. The spider is like Satan. Satan hides so that you can't see him and he mimics the Holy Spirit. He's talking to you. He's telling you stuff all the time. He's the accuser of the brethren, Revelation tells us. Those of you that are couples, particularly married couples for a long time, he knows the book on you. And when, I'll use it on myself, when my wife says something, he whispers in my ear that she's saying it for reasons other than why she said it. And then he goes around and whispers in her ear that I'm saying stuff for different reasons than I mean. And that's why, gentlemen, you and I don't do well in conversations. You give her a compliment, your hair looks great. Satan speaks to her and she says, why is he telling my hair looks great? He never says anything about my hair. He doesn't like it. I told that guy not to cut so much off this time. And she's frantically going through stuff. And you're sitting there thinking everything's good, man. You finally got a compliment out. Life is good. And then she says, do you think so? And Satan whispers in your ear, did you hear something in that? She's upset at you again. <laughs> okay, Bubba, you're in trouble. <laughs> And you start fumbling around with her. The next thing you know, you're in an argument and you just said her, she looked pretty. How did that happen? <laughs> now, we're not talking about marriage counseling here, but we are, okay? <laughs> Satan is like a porta spider, okay? He jumps on stuff. We better move on while I'm still married. Verse 34, <laughs> Jesus says, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. First, notice he calls Peter by his new name, Rocky. <laughs> I tell you that the rooster won't even get it out this morning until you've denied me three times. You are going to fold like a cheap lawn chair. A little girl is going to talk to you and you're going to say, I never knew the man. And then the third time you're going to cuss and you're going to swear. I swear to God, I don't know the man. And then Jesus is going to look at you and you're going to feel like a total idiot and run. Satan has you. He's going to make you like a piece of cheese shot full of holes. God uses crushed and broken things and people. God is going to allow Satan to crush Peter so he will be useful. We talked about it last time, remember? Little grains of wheat or oats or whatever, they have to be crushed before they're useful into bread. Grapes have to be crushed until they're broken open, until they're able to be wine. Olives have to be crushed, broken open, so that oil can come out, so they can burn. The ground has to be broken open before things can be planted. You and I have to be broken before we can be used by God. But I don't like being crushed. But God is working in his character. Author Irving Stone, some of you know the name, has written a, a lot of books. They're historical novels, biographies about men, Freud and Darwin and Michelangelo and Van Gogh. And he always takes people who had a lot of adversity in their life and then became a certain amount of successful. He said this, somebody asked him one time, quote, is there a common thread that runs through the lives of all these exceptional people that you've written about? He says, yes, there is. I write about people who have a vision or a dream, but then when they try to do it, they are beaten over the head, knocked down, vilified, and for years they get nowhere. But every time they're knocked down, they stand up. You cannot destroy these people. 
And at the end of their lives, they've accomplished some modest part of what they set out to do. It's not the getting knocked down part. It's the getting back up part. I'm not a great football fan, but Walter Payton, I know that name. Some of you would recognize him. He's a record holder of carrying a football in professional football. He's a running back. And he, when he broke the record, there was kind of a famous quote that went on. The guy was checking out the numbers. He said, hey, he broke the record. And look, he's run nine miles carrying the ball in professional football. By the way, he's a believer. And the other guy who's looking at the stats with him at the same time, he says, yeah, but did you notice... He got knocked down every 4.6 yards. He went nine miles, but he got knocked down every five yards, less than five yards. That's what God is saying to you and I. Return. Just keep getting back up. He's calling you to return to him. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. And he'll be right back with more from Luke chapter 22. For a CD copy of today's message from the book of Luke, call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org when it's most convenient. And to help you grow in grace, we'd like to recommend Pastor Ed's daily devotional. It's accessible online at thepackinghouse.org. Our featured resource this month is Tale of Three Kings authored by Gene Edwards. And I'm sure we've all experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, and it can be a confusing time. But rather than turn bitter and angry, you can experience healing and hope. Gene Edwards looks at David, Saul, and Absalom. I know you'll be touched as you read this story. We'll send it your way for a gift of any amount to grow in grace and please remember, it's your support that helps us bring these teachings to the radio every day. Call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. We love hearing from our listeners. Let us know how we can pray for you and what you're getting out of this study. Tell us your story of how you've been growing in grace. That would be so encouraging to hear. Drop us an email today at packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. Let's go back to Pastor Ed for the rest of his message. Let me close with my favorite author, Max Lucado, favorite living one. And he's kind of funny when he talks about himself. He was a, a missionary for 12 years in Brazil, I understand. And he claims to have uh, written the first book. It took him several years to write it. He said it was so bad, even though he's a famous author today, people still won't publish it. He can't find anybody to publish it. It's so bad. But he said his second book, he wrote about this subject. The title is On the Anvil. It's a great book to read. He's talking about being on God's anvil God has the hammer, and you're the steel that gets put in the fire, gets hot, pulls you out on the anvil, pound, 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 put you back in the fire. Sound familiar? He says, I know. I've been on it. It's rough. It's a spiritual famine. The fire goes out. We drift downward, downward into the foggy valley of questions, the misty lowlands of discouragement. Motivation wanes. Desire is distance. Responsibilities are depressing. Passion, it slips out the door. 
Enthusiasm? Are you kidding? It's anvil time. Brought face to face with God out of the utter realization that we have nowhere else to go. Jesus in the garden. Peter with a tear-streaked face. David after Bathsheba. Elijah in the still small voice. Paul blind in Damascus. Pound, pound, pound. I hope you're not on the anvil unless you need to be. And if so, I hope you're still there. Anvil time is not to be avoided, it's to be experienced. Although the tunnel is dark, it goes through the mountain. Anvil time reminds us of who we are and who God is. We shouldn't try to escape it. To escape it would be to escape God. The enemy will whisper, you are mortally wounded this time. You are unworthy. You have failed. You must now give up this idea of serving God. But the word of the Lord comes, the word of grace. It is return, return, return. What a powerful word for anyone who's fallen away from the Lord. Return. Now is the opportunity to return to the Lord and ask him for forgiveness of your sins. Join us next time as we continue our study through the book of Luke here on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me.